Now, a staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. The weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. How's it going, Wayne? Good. How are you, Mav? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We are in the midst of coldness again. Yeah, it's finally winter. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do not approve. Yeah, me either. I, I, no, I, I had not, to not shovel today. Yeah, I had to shovel today. It was not pleasant. Um <laughs> So for all of our listeners who do not live in cold weather clients, as we say on previous shows, when it was snowing here, fuck you. Um, we, <laughs> <I'm> swearing. <laughs> we, um, it, it is cold here. It is very cold. And I am happily just staying in indoors as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we, I, I, this should be an interesting show. This is a topic that when we when we came up with this with doing Vox Popcast, we had a list of topics that we wanted to like sort of get to eventually. And then two years went by <laughs> and, and, and like, we haven't gotten to most of them. <laughs> yeah. And most of them are just like sort of on our back burner. But um, but both of our regular or our other two regular co-hosts were busy this week. So we decided to pick one that is not. Not one of the things they were as interested in, but one that's up up here in my alley. So what are we doing today? We're doing finally mask theory and persona and that sort of thing. It was one of the first conversations we had in the store when we were saying, hey, what would we talk about on this show? Yep. <laughs> so I so mean, we thought one we... of the first conversations we ever had about this show was was this idea. Yep. And then it took us two years. So <laughs> we're yeah. going to do that today. 
Um, and since neither Cotney or, or Hannah could be here, we had to invite. I, I love how I always make excuses for why we invite guests, as though as though we don't just normally invite <laughs> guests. <laughs> but we we've got a full house today. Um, all returning guests, nobody's new. So first, uh, I'd like to introduce my wife Stephanie, who's here. Hello, everybody. Hey, Steph. Hey, Steph. <laughs> and Steph's a huge comic book fan, so she knows everything about masks, right? True. Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Steph. Is a, is a I have read comic books. She, she's read a comic book or two. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Steph is a she's a psychologist, a cognitive psychologist, cognitive psychologist. And when um, when I was talking about this idea, I went and, and yeah. female, by the way. Oh, that's not the only reason you're here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we didn't want to have an all boy panel. That is true. <laughs> um, but we but we also wanted to have somebody who had, you know, Wayne and I are going to talk about this from like a literary perspective. But we, yeah, there's more to it than just, you know, talking about superheroes and and the literary perspective. But we want to talk about the idea of wearing a mask and the psychological effects of that. So I invited Steph on. I will try to share what I know of that. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. And we also invited back uh, we, two return, two other returning guests. Uh, Marone Langsner, a friend of mine from going back all the way to my undergrad days. But Marone, welcome back. Thank you. And, uh, and I am a theater scholar, which is probably mm-hmm. worth saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, one of my specialties is the development and dissemination of movement training systems, which actually often involves quite a bit of mask work. Mm-hmm. And we also invite it back. It's, it's, it's funny because there was a big gap between your previous two appearances, but you were here like two weeks ago. Hey, no, yeah. Ortega. <laughs> yeah, hey, hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here again. I'm always uh, uh, glad to be invited. And uh, I'm a pop culture scholar, pop culture fan, consumer. Um, but then scholarship wise uh, into uh, Mexican identity stuff. And I think uh, at some point we'll talk about the, the mask and wrestling and, and things of that nature. Yeah. So that's yeah. in my wheelhouse. So. Yep. so I was hoping this would be a lively conversation. <laughs> everybody, everybody has some sort of different perspective on, you know, how masks are used. Oh, yeah. And Wayne and I, we read funny books. Um, yeah. If you haven't picked up on that, we read a lot of funny books. Yeah. Uh, we read the funny books for a living and there are a lot of characters with masks in, in them. So um, I guess the place to start is, you know, why do people wear? I mean, we came up with the idea originally because of superheroes. So superheroes wear masks, which is to hide their identity, to protect themselves and their loved ones, blah, 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 blah. But I think what's interesting about um, about superheroes and masks is that the idea of a mask in real life is typically considered sort of a villainous thing. It, it's mm. something that bad guys do when they're robbing banks and, you know, in very old cops and robbers movies and, <laughs> and stuff. Um, and, you know, and also if you're robbing a stagecoach or something like that. And this is something that's usually not really addressed in in comics at all. The only thing I can think of the recent Watchmen TV series, the idea of wearing a mask, you know, and hiding your identity means you're doing something nefarious was um, was addressed. But for the most part, people don't really talk about it in comics. Yeah, that that seems to be a big part of the, the mm-hmm. pop culture history of that. But that was subverted with Lone Ranger, pre-comic, um, Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, way pre-comic. Uh, so there's precedent for that. You know, the the heroic figure doing that before superheroes. There's also just that whole you know the masked ball. You know whether it's to you know European the the idea of the the mask to hide your identity for these 
these were all kinds of weird drunken sexual adventures among the high class or carnival or, or Mardi Gras or any of these, you know, the idea mm-hmm. of the, the mask is it, it's long been there for, well, just, you know, masks go back to the beginning. We have shaman figures putting on the mask of the animals to summon their power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just jumping into that right away, you know, there's, there's evidence of, of that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's a, a precedent to superheroes going back thousands upon thousands of years. Um, <laughs> I mean, a point I make in, in one of my presentations in my class, there's a, there's a cave painting in the uh, Le Frere Tavern in France, I believe, of a shaman figure. Mm-hmm. It's a figure wearing animal clothing. Yes. And I kind of make the antlers. point. Yeah, and antlers. And, and I kind of make the point that that is the first superhero. He is putting on the clothing of the gods to harness their powers, to embody their their powers. Uh, and it's the same thing Captain Marvel does when he says Shazam. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I, I think you know, the, the precedent for that has been there as part of our ceremonial life for a long, long time. Um, there, that's my background information. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and that's sort of, I mean, I, Steph was afraid we, we, um, weren't going to talk to her particular interest, I think, before we started. But this goes to the one thing that I know she was really interested in about this topic. And I think it's going to come up a lot earlier than probably she expected, mm-hmm. which is the idea of wearing a mask is sort of a theoretical transfer to another identity. Yes, absolutely. Well, and yeah, I have a psych background too. So that, that's, <laughs> that's where a lot of my initial reading and research on this comes from as well. So that, that, that's, a good, that's, a good, that's a good start for us, you know, again, because again, the mastic again existed before, you know, all these, again, in all sorts of cultures all, all, all across the everywhere. And so, and, and then, then we get, you know, the comic books and the pop culture and stuff like that. And so I think, you know, the historical masks, the cultural masks uh, are the natural starting point. So, yeah, And the mask in performance tradition was in many cases a sacred object. And you didn't just put it on. You had to contemplate the mask. You had to earn the mask. And then when you assume the mask and you assume the identity, there would be movements that were specific to that mask. And we see that across cultures, across times. We see it in Balinese dance tradition. We see it in Comedia dell'arte in the European traditions. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's something that seems almost hardwired. Yeah, and then so there is some evidence that people actually do change their personalities depending in closed cognition. That's what it's called, um, that people actually do change their personalities based on what kinds of clothes they wear. Um, there was actually one study done that caught that caused it caught a lot of attention, actually, and was very um, well cited um, initially, showing that people who wore a lab coat that they were told was a lab coat um did perform better on stroop tasks and things that on, on what stroop task um so that's when you have a word that is say a color red but the uh it, it's actually written in like a different color and the task is to name the color of the word our automatic response would be to read the word so it it takes some control to read the color of the word instead of the word itself so the yeah the initial study found that people uh claim that they found that uh that people actually did better on that task when they wore the lab coat um but there's this 
like replication crisis, we call it in psychology, where once people started trying to replicate results of prior studies, especially like really kind of like, you know, cool, exciting results like this, they found that they were not, <laughs> they were actually very rarely replicating the results. And that was one of the results they didn't replicate. However, they have found other effects of wearing clothing that do have, that have been replicated. Like if you give someone, if you have someone wear a nurse's uniform, then they act in ways that are more empathic. Um, and things like, and if you have a, someone wear like a police officer's uniform, then they will tend to orient their attention towards perceived threats, i.e. people wearing like hoodies as opposed to wearing, wearing suits. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there is some psychological evidence that it does affect some of our behaviors. So going back to a previous career of mine, um, before I was a pop culture scholar, uh, we did what we called persona studies and you know, it ties in a little bit to literary things. And I, I expect to psychology, which is what I, what I'm hearing you say, which is to say there are, when you do a task, a job, you, um, you sort of try to embody that persona. So, you know, you feel better being a cop if you're wearing the cop uniform while you're being a cop as a teacher. Uh, and this doesn't go for everybody. In fact, we talked a little bit about this in the, um, in some of the comments on, on, uh, when we posted the blog, which is some people will teach in jeans and a t-shirt. I can't do that. If I'm lecturing to students, I wear my, you know, I wear my teacher costume and my teacher mm -hmm. costume is now I actually do wear jeans. I wear jeans as, yeah. as part of my teacher, teacher costume, but I, 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 I wear I'm, black jeans. Yeah. But I've worn it, but I've worn a Ooh, shirt and tie fancy. almost every time I've ever taught. Um, yeah. it's just yeah, something I, that I do. And I do it when I, I do, when I go to conferences as well, that's just yeah, how I dress I, and it's not how I'm dressed now. I'm wearing a hoodie now because it's, yeah, my, it's funny. I, I don't wear the tie, but I, I typically wear the jacket mm -hmm. with a nice shirt. Like to, to, to me, the jacket is part of the teaching costume. Mm -hmm. I wear I my glasses to, more uh, often. Yeah. I used, I used, to, I used to play the part a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, then I got tired of the performance mm -hmm. and, uh, some of the, again, the weird layer, again, Mexican identity stuff and, weirdness and navigating white spaces and then kind of as a almost as an act of defiance i mean mm -hmm. i'm going my you know motorcycle vest and my jeans and my boots and mm -hmm. and, and and teach students a whole lot of high level stuff right mm -hmm. and to subvert that expectation of the performance and and so I, I mean i thought about that when you put that note up there that that was you know a pretty conscious decision i made that i'm like you know what like and then, you know, there's times where I'm like, we have, we have a, a guest lecturer. I got to go pick him up from the airport. And we just, then, yeah, maybe I play it up a little bit more there for mm -hmm. different reasons and stuff, different audience and, and whatever. Right. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it's something I consciously, um, how much do we to want to conflate mask and costume? I see. Yeah, and I think they're related, but they're not the same. I, yeah, think, I, I think I agree yeah. with you. And, and, and maybe you should, well, in a yeah, second, maybe you, should, you, should, you should split yeah. them out because I think that, um, I think that, I think they're different, but I'm going well, to argue, related. I think so, that right. I'm going to argue that we so use costumes as the mask. It's masking yeah. versus the object of the mask. Make the distinction. So often mask is a subset of costume. So yes. costume, what you're wearing is always social signaling and is always going to define character. In theater, in acting, teachers talk about how your costume speaks before you do. If you mm. walk on stage in a lab coat, with a, with a stethoscope, then this tells you something about who that character is. If you walk in in a police uniform, this tells you something, how people behave around costume is 
very much a part of our performance. And then we get into all the performance theory concepts of, you know, real life as performance or performance in real life. But when you deal with masks specifically, with masks, we're talking about hiding the face. And there's many schools of physical actor training where they do what's called neutral mask exercise. In, and a neutral mask is exactly that. It's a mask you put over your face that basically excludes any option of facial communication. So what happens is you take these performers or performers in training, you take away their ability to communicate with their faces, and you train their bodies, you train everything from the neck down. And also, and I would include actually head positioning, but you train everything other than their face to be more articulate. And if you could do this with a, with a neutral mask and you can have, and often people, when they're doing this, they're in the performer all black situation. And this is something where it, there is some relation between this and mine, but as a psychophysical apparatus, you suddenly in, in removing the ability to communicate with facial expression, the body becomes extremely precise. And then later in many acting traditions, you give them their face back, but you've given them back their face once they can communicate with their body. Now, when you get into the traditions of Balinese dance, Commedia dell'arte, no, cross-culturally, every place you go, the mask has a character. And if you look at some of the ways that these masks are shaped, the mask itself suggests a movement vocabulary. Sometimes the movement vocabulary is predetermined and you know this character moves in this way and it's the same every time or it's some variant of that vocabulary. Other times you have traditions where performers are creating the mask and as they create the mask, they're also creating the movement that is going to be specific to that mask. And this is where Wayne sp spoke about shamanism and so on. There's some correlation there as well. Because when you get into outside of theatrical performance, outside of the spectator-audience relationship, when you start getting into sacred traditions and you have the mass, it is, is going to be a situation where it's inhabiting the person who's summoning that spirit. And they summon that spirit through that mask. And then that spirit moves in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And there's some traditions where you teach with your learning Haitian dance, for instance. Haitian dance, you have the movement vocabulary of each different spirit, of each different god. And you dance that god. And if you're lucky, the god comes into you. So there's mm -hmm. some blurriness of the lines of who's what, when. Am I making sense to you guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I just went also, on a whole long... Yeah. <laughs> no, that was good, though. I, I also, I want to make the distinction. There's the psychological mask as well, the idea of the, the Jungian persona. To, to me, costume implies physical clothing, whereas mask is something... We can change our mask day to day, depending on who we're talking to, without ever changing mm -hmm. our clothes. Mm -hmm. So there's the psychological mask we portray to people. So just as a distinction between those two things. That goes into the concept of like code switching and everything that, that yeah. AJ was referring to earlier. When yeah. you, you know, you know, there's a when when I say that I'm dressing business like, right? Like that, um, that is an assumption that I am going to be wearing slacks. It's an assumption I'm going to be wearing a shirt and tie jacket. There's a specific as a male. There's a specific mm -hmm. look. As a female, it's a either a pantsuit or a skirt suit. But there's a there's a certain business attire. Uh, when I worked in a bank, that I was expected to 
that I was expected to wear mm. on a day to day basis. However, that attire is very racially coded and ethnically coded, um, which exactly. is what AJ was getting at. The idea of, well, this is business professional. What that means is this is European white business professional. It is the set of clothing that we have decided as a culture is the way business people dress. And by business people, we mean successful white men. And, you know, to the to the extent that like even we that we move beyond that, you know, if you are a non-white man, then you masquerade as a white man. You assume that identity by putting on the business costume to the idea that you're female and not male at all. Um, you have some sort of derivation that is as close as possible. It's where the pantsuit comes from. You know, you are the pantsuit as opposed to, you know, the traditional woman's skirt um, or dress that you might have worn uh, before the 1980s. The, um, that would be, you know, that is a design to sort of, you know, fit the or the original one was to fit the woman into the man's world. You know, it, it, like now shoulder pads. Yeah, the shoulder. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Shoulder pads yeah. made you made you look broader. Mm-hmm. Now, this has changed somewhat. You know, there's sort of um, and this is one of those shows where I wish Katya was here because she knows fashion theory better than I do. But there are in, in 2020, we allow a little bit more feminization of the suit in order to fit in order to still be business appropriate. But it is still very much derived from the idea of the white masculine identity that the original business suit entailed, the three piece suit. Yeah, I was wondering, I, you both said that you don't wear even when teaching or maybe three of you, AJ, two, I think, mentioned this, that you wear kind of a partial suit, yes. like the tie mm-hmm. and maybe the jacket, but yeah. jeans instead of not just teaching. I started yeah. doing that. Um, so when I was it depends on where I work. Right. But before I before I was a teacher, I was a software designer. Um, so I had rules like um, when I worked for a bank, I designed software for a bank and for insurance companies for Fortune 100 level companies that very, you know, very strict dress codes. So they would do stuff like I had to wear slacks and I, I was not allowed to wear jeans. Um, I had to wear a tie. I had to wear long sleeves. Um, I worked at a one. Of the, there was a place I worked um, that I worked there when they started allowing women to wear pants. That was 2005. I think yeah. for myself at the university, if, if this is something I did regularly for years, you know, if I was a full time professor working for years, I might get more casual as time went on. Right. Since right. I'm there well, part time as an adjunct, there's a certain amount of I, I need to look the part. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a hundred percent part of the game too. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I did that when I got my tenure track position. Yeah, and right. again, as again a, a rejection of of uh, of the expectation. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, so when I was, but when I was working, so when I was working at the bank, for instance, um, I made a conscious decision while there, you know, cause all right, here are my rules. I have to wear, um, a shirt and tie every day, but I started wearing very specifically and stuff knows cause stuff sees my closet. I've got a lot of dress shirts that aren't white, they're black and they've got, um, intricate tattoos, uh, inspired designs on them, like dragons and stuff. And I started wearing those, um, specifically because as the um as the sole designer on the team i needed to look different than all the programmers and executives like i there was a rule that i had to be in a shirt and tie but in order to make people think oh he's the quirky creative one 
part of the costume was to have something more ornate that made me stick out. Uh, well, there were two things that were going to make me stick out. First off, I was the only black guy there. So that was going to make me stick out. <laughs> but I, but as um, I was consciously making myself stick out as the designer, the weird guy, and not just the black guy by doing that. Um, when I teach, for instance, I wear shirt and tie, which I don't have to. I can wear whatever I want at my school, but I always wear a shirt and tie so that I look like a teacher, but I specifically wear jeans, often ripped jeans. I wear studded belts all the time. Um, I like I am I am dressing as the casual teacher in a in a very real way that is part of the costume. On the other hand, I very infrequently wear my glasses in real life. I don't need them. Um, you know, uh, I, I have I have a slight astigmatism, but I have glasses that I wear when I teach all the time because it makes me look more like, you know, scholarly and like a teacher. Um, I've got a rather than a rather than a smoking uh, pipe. Do you have like a pipe or no? I don't. I don't. But I have a smoking jacket. But I I have a smoking jacket. And and I also have um, I also have a blazer that I wear that has a built in hoodie. (laughs) I I wear things like that, which are, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, there it's a personalization, a mocking of the costume. Mm Right. That I that I that I do in order to sort of set myself apart. But that's a, it's the same way. Um, uh, it always surprises um, my students when when I'll swear in class because I do it very casually. But I also like, it, you know, there's good there's lectures that I have notes on and I know exactly where I'm going to swear each time because it's part of the performance. Um, I am doing that to disarm them and let them know this is a place where you can speak freely. Um, mm-hmm. So I might drop a word fuck in week two of, of, of the class. Um, and, and that's, and that's very intentional because it's part of designing the space. Um, I, I want to loop back to something Marone said though, which was when we were talking about the difference between mask and, and costume, I think that, I think we do use them interchangeably, but I think one of the things that I got from his description that I think is very key is a costume is part of the identity, right? And I think yes. we use it that way from superheroes to theater, to professional wrestling, you wear a costume. A mask occludes the real identity. It hides an identity. So, um, yes. So to the extent that a mask, yeah, to the extent that a mask turns you into another character, which, you know, a shaman or um, I don't know, Rey Mysterio or something or Spider-Man to an extent that a mask makes you that character. There's part of it. But um, but the but there's something very particular about the fact that when I'm when I'm putting on a cowboy outfit, I'm a cowboy. When I put on the mask, now I'm the Lone Ranger and I don't know who that guy was. You know, I, like it, it hides. Actually, I do because I'm a geek. But um, <laughs> but um, but it hides the identity of the real person as opposed to just in as opposed to just inhabiting the identity of lawman of, of old West lawman. That, that hiding of the, of the mask again, the physical hiding, uh, and then going back to, uh, again, uh, at one point Wayne mentioned, you know, the, the psychological mask, right. Or the, um, uh, uh that it's, it's like the Youngin. first line, right. Right. The Jungian uh, mask. Exactly. That this is uh, like the opening line of, uh, Octavio Paz, uh, his, um, essay, Mexican masks about again Mexican identity, right? Not the physical one, but this like this thing that like Mexicans because of their nature and because of their history and culture, uh again, are hiding something, right? And some people are critical of this perspective or whatever, but the intro line is the Mexican, whether young or old, criollo or mestizo, general or laborer or lawyer, seems to me to be a person who shuts himself away to protect himself. His face is a mask and so is his smile. 
And that's the first line. And then he goes on and he constructs this idea. Um, but that's exactly that, that idea that, that okay, the, the, there's the idea that the physical mask is hiding something, but also that Jungian idea that, that it's a, it's the demeanor. It's a, it's a whole lot more than just a, a, a physical thing. So, uh, have you guys, have you guys read us before? I read it quite a while ago. I have read that, sure. but it was many sure. years ago, but I, I, yeah. I know exactly which essay you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then to uh, Stephanie's point, again, I was just thinking, I just have like a bunch of bullet points here on my desk, uh, <laughs> that the idea that it's also, um, uh, there's transformation involved, right? The masking involves transformation. Yes. And, you know, death masks. And um, I, I was just looking at a, an art display of um, a Mexican uh, Day of the Dead mask, right? Dia de los Muertos. And, and, and I was just thinking, I was like, I have representations. I have tattoos on my arms of uh, memorials of people in my family that have passed away. And I have them as sugar skulls. Because they've transformed, right? They're like, and, and my impression of them has transformed my connection. To, and that's a cultural thing that I never really thought about. It was just natural. I was like, well, that's what happens when people die in my culture, right? You, you go to Mexico and you see our, our, our famous um, actors and actresses that have passed away in sugar skull form at the flea market, right? And it's so natural. It's ingrained in, in even now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the whole concept when we start talking about masks and heroes and identity, uh, I'm sitting here talking to comic scholars. One of the things mm-hmm. I've heard about, one of the most interesting things I read about Superman was that Clark Kent is the mask, is the yes. secret identity, well, sure. yeah. and Superman's the identity. And, and I, I, I think that can be applied to Batman as well. Batman yeah. is so much more who he is than Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. people use it. Uh, people use it for Superman a lot. That's where that's where that argument comes from most often. Um, I actually think it works better with Batman for various reasons. Mm-hmm. I think it's simplistic enough for Superman because Clark Kent's the one who wears a mask. Clark Kent literally wears glasses to transform um, his natural. He doesn't need them. His natural self is a person without glasses, but he puts these glasses on to become Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. And one of the and arguments and changes his demeanor and clothing. Yes. Right. And in the opposite stuff. way that it usually yeah. happens. Yes. Yeah. He wears it. He wears it. He wears it. Well, Superman is a perfect being, right? He's stronger than us. He's mm-hmm. um, um, he can fly. He's got, you know, laser eyes and, you know, and, and he becomes an effeminate emasculated weakling who hunches over even, uh, even if you watch like the 1978 Christopher Reeves movie, he's perfect at it. Yeah. He just, he completely transforms physically. He wears the glasses. He is a nerd. He is mild mannered reporter Clark Kent. But what's um, interesting is a book called, um, there's a book called The Superhero Costume by Barbara Brownie and Danny Graydon, which is a book I reference a lot in my dissertation, which talks about um, the way costumes are used to create heroes, except for in Superman's case, the costume is how he weakens himself. And, um, Clark Kent is a character that is what Superman thinks of us because he's obviously he's an alien. He's emulating us. Yeah. 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 And this is this point's made in the movie Kill Bill by by Bill Quentin Tarantino movie. But um, Superman is so much greater than we are that he thinks when he looks at humans, he sees somebody like Clark Kent. So this is his best impression of humanity. (laughs) Um, he's not that wrong. Yeah, yeah he, he thinks he thinks that we're nerds. You know, he thinks that we're weaklings and nerds. So he dresses. So that's how he fits. You're in. a nerd, all right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, but- and, and I was just going to say, and people make fun of the people in the Superman universe for not recognizing that they're the same person. But mm-hmm. I mean, your yeah, your physical appearance and how your demeanor and everything affects how people physically see mm-hmm. you as a person. So it kind of makes sense in that context. Yeah. Well, and also AJ's commentary about because Superman's a foreigner, about the foreigner having the mask to cope in mainstream society. And uh, and then to take, to look at on the other end, for Batman, it depends on who's writing Batman. Now, obviously, he's wearing a physical mask so that he can become the bat, right? Criminals are a cowardly, superstitious lot, you know, and he, and he sees that, you know, my disguise must strike fear into their very hearts. So there, so not yeah, Batman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Batman. Yes, there's the, um, there's the costume there. But in most modern incarnations of Batman, this is, now Batman's character has varied greatly from yeah. like the late 1930s till to 2020. Um, but post Frank Miller, post 1986, when Dark Knight came out, yeah. he puts on a physical mask to become the bat. That is a thing that he does, but his personality, it's very clear that Bruce Wayne is a performance, right? He is, uh, he is when he's talking to someone he knows well, like when, if he's talking to Dick Grayson, Robin, or, or any of the Robins, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, uh, Damian Wayne, Alf, or Alfred, or, or even when he's talking as himself to Superman, that character of him being himself is much closer to the character of Batman than the Bruce Wayne persona that he presents to the world. Like he is wearing a mask to be Bruce. In earlier incarnations, they played up the, the whole foppish playboy, you know, the, the, the rich man about town who, you know, was irresponsible and all that sort of thing, playing directly off of precedents like Zorro and Scarlet Pimpernel, where that was just part of the disguise. Right. Uh, so, and so the disguise was the, the foppish ne'er-do-well as opposed to Batman. Uh, so he was putting on as much of a character as Bruce Wayne as as Superman is as Clark Kent. And but then I mean, but then you have other characters. I mean, you have Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a performance that Peter Parker does. Right. Like there is a there is a you know, Peter Parker is much more of a natural character. But then he becomes you know, not only is he fighting crime. When he puts that mask on, that's when he becomes the jokester. You know, that's that's when he starts cracking, you know, you know making wise cracks at everybody he fights. And, and it, it is a different performance, like, you know, like Stephanie was talking about before. So would you say that wearing a mask is kind of like drinking alcohol, for instance, that it just like releases <laughs> your inhibitions or is it more like nuanced than that? I think it could well, it be. releases consequences. Yeah, I, I think there. Are, I think there are lots of nuances to it. I mean, you, in in comics, there's. I mean, we've moved into this trend in the last few years, and I think this is true from the movies where the mask has fallen out of favor. The actual physical, they wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not seeing as much of it because, in some ways, it, it seems you know silly or whatever to outsiders. But just I mean, outside of outside of comics, you know, I think I, it's I'm also that you pay a lot of money. Movie was well, yeah, you pay a lot yeah, of money for right, Robert Downey yeah, Jr.'s face. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're not going right, to hide it exactly. Yeah, yeah. That that's a big part of it. Um, but I, you know, going into my my other realm of hobbies, you know, the music thing and. You know, the ongoing mask that, that Bowie did. I, it's part of my goal to mention Bowie on every podcast. <laughs> um, but you know, his, that, his, his changes, him taking on different identities. And while he didn't wear physical mask, uh, very often, right, he, he did the last couple of videos he did. Um, you know, the makeup and the costuming and him taking on a different persona, um, 
and you, that era, you had so much of that. You know, Alice Cooper, Vincent Bernier, his real name, refers to Alice in the third person a lot. Um, and talks well, about the time of like the, I think that I, the, the, the Bowie stuff specifically, just because you know the the idea of like the concept album almost requires a new persona, mm-hmm. and so I yeah. think that is one thing that you know we, we is, is important in his his history. Yeah, so. yeah, very much so. And it just at that time there was so much color TV was becoming a thing, and the the whole glam movement kind of came out of how do we get attention? Well, we dress colorfully and and funny, and you know a lot of them, his was much more focused and and. He had you know, concepts behind it where a lot of them were just throwing on whatever and having fun with it. But there was a lot of that happening at the time. You know, the, the whole thing, you know, Kiss in the 70s of just, you know, they didn't allow their pictures taken without the makeup. There was this mystique mm-hmm. built around them as to who they actually were. They built personas and characters around those, mm-hmm. that makeup that they, they portrayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much so that, um, well, in you, Kiss's it, case, the, you know, the current band Kiss, Half of them are not the original members, right? Like the, yeah, like, yeah, those characters are, are yeah. Well, but and that, the thing of denying responsibility for you know, with with Alice very specifically, there was you know, he's portraying this dark part of society. I mean, Alice was and is a Christian. Alice Cooper and his stage show, yeah, yeah, Alice Cooper and and his stage show is a morality play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character of Alice comes out, does all these horrible things, is captured, is punished. And then there's a long musical break and he comes back on stage dressed all in white with a redemption song. Um, but there is, there's that whole idea of playing the character absolves him of a certain amount of responsibility. Mm-hmm. The, the character of Alice is this horrible, horrible person who does these terrible things. And, and he talks very much about being in that character and, and the things he says and does as that character that's completely different than who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. And that, that whole idea of you know, he as Vince Bernier is not responsible for the actions of Alice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he talked about uh, in the late 70s, uh, Alice was a remarkable alcoholic, um, just drinking himself to death. And he said one of the, the things that allowed him to overcome that eventually was realizing that the only time he wasn't drunk, like he spent the 70s blaming his, his drinking on Alice. Mm-hmm. Um, until he had the realization that the only time he was sober was on stage. Alice wasn't the drunk he mm-hmm. was. So, and that sort of division, I, I find fascinating. Well, that goes to Steph, to your point about like the different, like literal different personalities, you know, between the mask self and the, and mm-hmm. the true self. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if I like the word true, but the, because it implies right. that, you know, it's, it's the Batman problem, which one's real and which one's not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's interesting. I was interested in particular when Wayne brought up the idea of multiple personality disorder. And, but I guess yeah. how I think of it is that you have like beliefs related to certain, like certain costumes, like whether it's police or like David, like, I guess David Bowie emulated like a, um, like a, a space alien or thing, whatever, whatever it is, but you mm-hmm. have like certain like yeah. beliefs associated with that, that are activated when you are wearing a costume. And so that affects your behavior yeah. and you'll behave like in different ways. And I think often it's in ways that if you're wearing a mask, okay, this is my understanding. <laughs> if you're wearing a mask, you can kind of like feel freer to do things, your identity, your true identity is, well, I guess true is kind of in quotes here, but your identity is kind of hidden. So you can be what you want to be rather than who you think you should be as well. Yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. so 
but that's, I'm just saying, uh, yeah, like kind of like multiple personality disorder, mm-hmm. wearing different costumes does allow you to like just act in certain in different ways that are consistent with who you're supposed to be, given what you're wearing, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, I will, yeah, that, we'll be linking to a couple that, of mask that, theory articles in the show notes, but that is yeah. that is one of the fundamental things that people say is I, there's a quote and I was trying to find it when I wrote the blog. But there's a quote, and I want to say it's from the superhero Nomad, but I'm not sure. It might have been the question. And the question, and, and it was um, the theory of, you know, why, you know, why do you wear a mask? It's not like anybody knows who you are anyway. And it's like, well, if I'm doing something dangerous or stupid, I feel better if I'm hiding while doing it. And, and, and it's, yeah. it, there is a, you know, there is a free, there's a freedom from responsibilities. There's a, you know, like, like Wayne said with Alice Cooper, mm-hmm. I, it is a different identity. I can, you know, I am, I am free to behave in a different way. The ultimate mask that comes up in normal times right now where mask theory comes into play in like everyday life is on the internet, right? It, you know, you can say absolutely horrific things to people if you're hiding behind, you know, the character of some Twitter handle that people would never have the, have the balls to say in real life. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we're talking about is, identity and consequences mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what is what is the character what's the person and this does get into a lot of that slippery slope of what's true what's not true and i really want to go back to aj's point about octavio paz and having the code switching and so on as well and when is the mask saving you and when is the mask trouble mm-hmm. and i think the hiding as well like the other aspect when we talk about the new uh, facial recognition software and how people are freaking the hell out over it yeah. <laughs> and people wearing masks to protests, people marrying. And then, you know, if a protest is illegal, then where and hiding your identity is a crime, then you're compounding crimes. And then the software that is meant to foil sought to foil facial recognition, the face is the identity or the face mm. is the identity. And then the mask is the protection of the identity it's the hiding that we talk about with nomad mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious what we talk about peter parker and becoming spider-man when we have the character be non-white in the case of miles morales mm-hmm. what does that do because spider-man is still spider-man and no one knows who's mm-hmm. inside right so mm-hmm. no that's an interesting one again because that's the one thing i was going to mention because again uh, when we talked about um <laughs> You know, we mentioned Kiss, you know, and, and, and that those identities kind of got passed down to new, new people. Um, that masking and the passing down of the identity is pretty interesting to me because I see it in the Japanese pro wrestling, uh, Mexican pro wrestling. Uh, and then in, in comic books, I know uh, the Phantom uh, is like a super long lineage and long history in mm-hmm. terms of that mythos. And it's the same family and the, and the mask is passed down. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and the and the morals and values and all that stuff too, and so yeah, the the the, the Peter Parker one, and uh, you know, and then this new iteration of of Spider Man, and what is that, you know, and, and again, maybe you know, showing that value of the mask almost. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think. And, and, I was going to say, I think that like the idea of it, it's kind of like is a a more extreme example of the effect of masking i think when it's a black character like miles what's his last name morales miles morales yeah 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 yeah. yeah. certainly there's a there's a there's a statement there 100 percent too yeah yeah and that you're not only becoming a different person but i guess a lot of people would assume that 
he's, you know, like past. Well, I guess I don't know if people just assume that Spider-Man is white, but I mean, I don't know, just like that's an even bigger transformation. Well, there, I think so. Yeah, well, there, there's been some argument made that the full face mask with him, you know, part of his success was anybody could project themselves into mm. him. It's the, the, it's the ah, iconic, the, the Scott McCloud idea of nobody knows who it is. So anybody could be Spider-Man oh, and use that tagline. Yeah, they use that mm. tagline for the character. The hero who could so be, is he more popular among like African American kids than other superheroes? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Classically, yeah. I mean, classically, yeah. Spider Man's more popular among everybody than any other superhero. So, it's really? just, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's Superman. Well, yeah, with 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 few exceptions, I, more people yeah, identify with. Yeah, and, but yeah, but with few exceptions, Superman. Batman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, Incredible Hulk, almost certainly in that in that order over the last century are like and maybe throwing Wolverine eventually. Um, like, but like the, but like classically, they are by far the most popular superheroes. And now in, you know, in the, in in the more modern era, post the MCU, you're getting popularity for Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, but like Mm -hmm. classically over the hundred so year history of superheroes, or not hundred years, I guess, 80 year history of superhero heroes proper uh, by far. Um, Part of the promotion of the end of the Spider-Verse movie last year was to create your own spider stone. Mm-hmm. The idea that that movie had you know, spider characters from various different universes. And part of the promotion was having people, you know, okay, you have Spider-Man powers. Who are you? Create a character. Right. So it can be anybody. Once again, going back to that idea of the hero who could be you. And, you know, thousands of people were, were doing bad drawings and posting them on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there were and, apps, and, and too. Yeah, there were apps to yeah, make Facebook yeah, and, there, and there were apps mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a way of, of projecting yourself into that persona uh, on a mass scale. And uh, this gets into cosplay as well, because, you know, like we put on the mask to imitate these other people who are wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many layers of this. Steph, I do want to come back to um, the multiple personality thing, uh, since we have two psych people on the show, you more than me. But because we talked about this a little bit in the, the comments, that whole idea, I mean, there there have been arguments made that you know, multiple personality disorder, which is still a controversial disorder in terms of what it is and, and how real it is and, and that sort of thing. And we certainly had, you know, the the examples of it in media like Sybil and, and some of these others where it's this extreme mm-hmm. thing, uh, all of which are a little you know, over the top with that sort of thing. And in most cases, most documented cases of, of multiple personality disorder, and I'm not even sure if that's what they're calling it anymore uh, in DSM. Yeah, I think it's um, identity, dissociative, dissociative identity, identity disorder. disorder. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's most of it, it comes back to really pretty extreme physical and sexual abuse in childhood, uh, where different personalities are are formed to, to deal with that. But the case has been made that you know, everybody has multiple personalities. It's just it's more integrated with most of us. We have more control over it. You know, like say the personality that I show at Thanksgiving dinner with my extended family is not the personality I show when I'm out of a bar watching a band with my drunken friends. Um, and you know, they're all pieces of us, but you know, I put on my teaching costume or I put on my football jersey or whatever, that multiple personality isn't necessarily a disorder. It's the way things normally are. It's just we have more control over it than in those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, the idea of personas and masks are a very natural way of dealing with society, dealing with other people. Right. Are there cases of superheroes having actual like personality disorders? I think I kind of. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Venom, oh, yeah. Venom's uh, split up and there is all. Well, Venom, Venom, Venom probably is 
best Vada. I mean, ignoring the science fiction aspect of it, Venom is closer to schizophrenic. There's a there's a literal separate sure. voice, but there are yeah. there are certainly. I mean, there's characters like uh, Aurora, Legion, Legion and the X Men. Um, who have um, literal um, multiple, yeah, like well, I mean, well, personalities, but also, yeah. Them, I was thinking, there's also ones uh, that have where where it expresses physically, where people have you know might yeah. look. I mean, it's it's a, it's science fiction, it's comic book, so you yeah, can do lots I, of stuff. I mean, yeah, one of them, um, Crazy Jane from Doom Patrol, which was in Grant Morrison's run, and she's on the, yes. the television show mm-hmm. as well. Crazy Jane is somebody who has multiple personalities. Each personality has a distinct superpower. And in some of them, she actually physically manifests those powers in, in different ways. Um, Grant Morrison based that character on a book called When Rabbit Howls, uh, written by, and I'm using the, the way they, it's attributed on the book itself, written by the troops for Trudy Chase. Trudy Chase is the identity of the person that, whose biography, autobiography this is, there is no core Trudy Chase personality. The proofs are how they refer to all the different personalities and different ones come on and and deal with, with different aspects mm-hmm. of, of their life. Um, and I, in Morrison talked about that in one of the letters pages of the book. I read the book after. It is fascinating. Uh, there is no single, there isn't a Trudy Chase. There are multiple personalities, all of whom work together for the health of this person. And I think that this was also something that was a dollhouse, the Joss Whedon show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, I think there might be, I think there's something like innately appealing about having multiple personalities for people. And I think, well, I was a kid. I read Sybil and I read some other book about this serial. I read a lot of really dark stuff as a kid, like the serial killer guy. Who had I'm very like, scared. Yeah, like 40 <laughs> or so different personalities, a couple of whom were serial killers. But it is an adapt. Like I think you said, Wayne, it is an adaptive function as a way of dealing with like abuse. But if we, you know, even in normal sort of day to day living, there are like times when you like you adapt different personalities and kind of you kind of wish that I don't know, for me, I kind of wish that I could be a little more like I could adapt a little better than I do. But I'm just thinking yeah. like that mm-hmm. kind of thing kind of I don't know, just sort of fits in with our have you considered wearing a Spider-Man mask to work? <laughs> <laughs> I have not, but hmm, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, when I when I think of, uh, you know, the again, that I- idea of, of masking and, and different, um, yeah, maybe personalities or, or something. But I think of like different consciousnesses, right? Because, uh, again, that Octavio Paz thing is, is almost is an interesting analog to, the you know, W.E.B. Du Bois and you know, black Americans having to navigate this double consciousness, mm-hmm. right? Your mm-hmm. consciousness as an American, your consciousness. And I was like, well, that's again, any, you know, uh, you know, any, you know, hyphenated Americans, even though I'm anti-hyphen, you know, it's right. That's the story. At least you got yeah. two identities you're working with. Yeah. And it's, it's a nightmare sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, so, and sometimes, you know, you exploit one over the other and that's, part of how you navigate the world. Can I ask, is that like a natural thing that you, I've, I, I don't 100%. have to do what it is. Okay. You just sort of learn. Like, what's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a survival mechanism, mm-hmm. I think, or at least that's one my, my angle on it. And mm-hmm. my argument depending on my understanding of, you know, cultural stuff and philosophy, Mexican philosophy that I agree with. And that part of it is like, okay, well it comes from the colonization, right? 
And it's like, that's the thing we're still constantly grappling with. And, and we, you know, one foot's here, one foot's there, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I mean, that is one of the things in, in Du Bois's work about the, the idea of for the African-American in his work, but the, there's an idea of hiding within um, a performance so as, so as to be able to hide within white society. And it's a thing we all naturally do. Um, there's another book, Ellison's Invisible Man, which is yeah, not, um, not what it sounds like. If, you, if you're familiar with the Invisible Man, which is, um, <laughs> which is, which is, which is a completely different thing, but Invisible Man is, he is, he is invisible, not for any supernatural reason, but he is invisible because of his ability to fit in and not be noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, now he actually, you know, he has many, it's a very complex book that is interesting, but the entire book is about the ways in which as a black man, the, um, the protagonist, uh, the protagonist has no name an invisible man intentionally. Um, mm-hmm. The book's like 600 pages long and he never say his name, um, but his ability to navigate black and white society um, by being invisible in, in quote marks. So that is, but that is I'm fitting in perfectly in both. Systems. No, imperfectly as it turns out, but yes, I mean, at least in theory, but it's the problems in, in doing that. It's what, again, what we call code switching now when we're talking about racial theory. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I mean, you asked if it was natural, but it is, <laughs> I, like I don't know how to how to. What do you think? Like, is it, like, is it, I, I, I yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to how to use the word natural, right? Yeah, like, is, is it effortful or is it something that it is you something just you just learn to do? I, I think. I, 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 yeah. Speaking as a white man, I'm assuming you. If you grow up with that here, it's something you learn from day one. Right. My my yeah. grandfather used to always say that we are bilingual in that we speak English and white people. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And, and yeah. it is a it is a very and by English he meant you know black people English, but but he, but it is a it is a very like is it effortful? No, I because because I'm forty five years old and I've been on this planet for a minute. You know, like mm-hmm. I like I yeah. like I just well, sort yeah, of yeah. Some experience though. I think that's, right. that's it. I right. think we're speaking from experience. You would ask me this ten years ago, I, I would have a hundred percent different maybe hundred uh, percent different perspective. Okay, yeah. Because of, I was, because yeah, it's, I was, it's, 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 it's I guess it maybe it is a skill. Now think about it you know yeah, I, I was just thinking about younger kids like in school that's a big problem like fitting in uh to there's kids are supposed to conform to like middle class yeah. like you know white middle class yeah. roles yeah and as a first generation american you learn like because I think the thing that you learn first is what language you speak at home, what language you speak. The, the private and public language. The mm-hmm. private and public mm-hmm. language. And, you know, it comes down to the word because you end up speaking a mix of languages at home and a mix of languages with different family members and mm-hmm. then having that separation. So I'd say, and, you know, I'm probably the most white passing person i'm probably the most white passing minority on this cast right now but (laughs) but that's also you know varies within my family but i would say that like is it easy yes is it exhausting also yes yes (laughs) yeah 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 when you that's why i was questioning the word natural right like like is it natural in that is it innate i don't think so but again, I'm 45 yeah, and I learned it. You've and yeah, I'll amend that for necessary rather than natural. Yeah. 
That's the right. word I, I, I would I would I would rather use. Right. It's myself. very ingrained at this point. Like I know. Sure. I mean, and Steph, you even is like, I mean, as far as, again, thinking about it as a mask, you've been around me with our friends. You've heard me on this show. You've been around me just in our personal, yes. just me and you yep. day, day to day life. Personas. And you've and and Steph, Steph has commented on this. Like she's heard me talk to my mother on the phone. My accent changes. Um, mm-hmm. the, um, it is. I mean. I'm not that great at hiding my accent in general, but it is more pronounced. I'd say when I'm talking to my family than it is when oh, I definitely yes. yeah when I'm yeah, talking. I, to, I, I, I probably today, do like, do a few more y'alls and ain'ts when I'm on the phone with my mom. Right. <laughs> right. I suppress my Pittsburgh accent at all times. <laughs> <laughs> There's shame there. There is. There is. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and I think that um, I, I think that the idea of wearing a mask, though, that is, uh, you know, that that is part of it. I want to I return. We talked briefly about Watchmen, but um, the Watchmen TV series, again, the most fascinating part of that entire show and spoilers for Watchmen. It's been over. And if you haven't seen it, tough shit, I'm about to spoil one of the most important parts of it. And, and you should go back and watch it anyway, is when you discover that Hooded Justice, a character from the original series was actually a black man and he did he does this by not only wearing a mask but having a mask of face paint of caucasian face paint around his eyes under the actual mask Mm -hmm. so as to wear a double mask so as to fit into white identity inside of his hidden identity and that to me is fascinating because Mm -hmm. we're talking about we're talking about layers of masks. You're talking about, you know, being the character that is the character that is the character. And I think that in a way, you know, that is, I mean, I said earlier on the show when I was working, when I was working professionally as a software designer and, you know, in banks and insurance companies and investment firms and stuff, I was, you know, I'm, I'm already being a black man masking himself into white community because that's just how the business world works, unfortunately. But on top of that, I'm masking myself further by, you know, wearing the designer costume like that was that was um, that was part of it. And so I think that there are I think there are layers of masks that we use all the time. And I and and I'm not trying to make myself special. I mean, I think all of us, that's just my personal experience. And I, it's the same thing. I think that's in some ways is necessary just to survive in, in, in our society. I mean, there's a certain amount of that that we need to do is that chameleon like behavior, blending in your surroundings. So you don't get killed Um, (laughs) in in psychological ways, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the people who are unable to do that have a much more difficult time fitting in or functioning if, Mm -hmm. if they can't. Um, right, because I do think you know it is instinct. Like if you call too mm-hmm. much attention to yourself, that's I'm a target now, in yeah. whatever capacity that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why and I mean to t- to take the literal mask, uh, um, the literal mask literally again goes back into the superhero thing of why wear a mask when you why wear a mask when you're a superhero because you're doing something dangerous and the the idea of mm-hmm. hiding makes you feel safer, right? Like the mm-hmm. the idea of of being under a thing where you're protecting your identity is just one less thing I have to worry about while I'm doing this, while I'm dodging bullets. Mm -hmm. And then there's this whole, 
you subreddit talk topic here of when the mask becomes just the culturally accepted part of it. You know, when when the punk movement started and the clothing that came out of that very definitely you know, identified it was a signifier of this very specific subculture, and it still is. But forty some years later, it's just fashion. You can buy that stuff at Hot Topic, so <laughs> so it's been incorporated into our culture. So it still signifies something, but it signifies something very different than it did forty years ago. Um, so in some ways, you know, the mask becomes part of the, the culture as the well. Face. Yeah. The mask becomes mm-hmm. the face. Yeah. Um, so yeah. my face, it's my Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> Give me back my face. Um, so anyway, we've probably resolved nothing here once again. No. Uh, <laughs> no, th- I th- this is a really good conversation. I, I like this a lot. And I, I, and I think there's probably more things we could talk about. Oh yeah, easily. It's a deceptively complicated subject for something that sounds very simple, which is, you know, sort of why we wanted to do it from the very beginning. So I made a list, but <laughs> I'm not going to share because that was like overthrow the re- we resolve nothing thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 I, mean, I don't want to throw more adventures into plan by saying yeah. Yeah. It was it was video what, game. One, oh shit, no. Yeah. Yes, and that's, that's definitely a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, but that's why, I mean, that's the, the great thing about, you know, the way we try to do things on the show is we, you know, uh, we're not really trying to resolve anything. It's, no. it's more questions that I think make for interesting conversation. Hey, mm-hmm. Think and about this stuff. We've progressed. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We've had a progression of thought and I think that there are, are, are things to to keep going. So I mean, you know, we, like we say on so many shows, we might have to do a follow-up one day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. Cause I think we could take several of these threads and just follow them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of stick to one and then another and another, yeah. Focus mm-hmm. on that video. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, in the meantime, I want to thank all of our guests for joining us and then I'll go, um, Stephanie, um, where can people find you if they want to find you? Oh, um, so you know what? I'm going to talk about something right now. Um, so we have a website in case your kids like science. Um, if you go to isptutor.org, we have some science related materials that you Actually, might be interested stuff, in. Stuff, tell people when you say science related material, what are what are what do you do? So, so we um, are trying to support students, science learning and science learning, like things like doing making science fair type projects and you know just basically helping kids become more knowledgeable and better citizens <laughs> so yeah if you go to that isptutor.org site then you'll see kind of what we're up to and would love to hear comments on things like like any kind of educational stuff that you'd like to see if you're a teacher especially or you're a parent or homeschool or any or even if you're a student listening to this mm-hmm. although there's some swearing so i guess you shouldn't be listening to this <laughs> no we, we need the viewers okay okay never mind it's okay yeah you're, this is the real world so get used to it okay. fucking subscribe so. kids yeah that's right oh that'll be linked in the show notes of course what about you aj uh, you can find me at www.ajortega.net and then on Twitter at, at AJOrtega, D-O-T-N-E-T. Absolutely. Uh, and Maroon? You can find me at maroonmonsner.com and also maroonmonsner on Twitter. 
and Instagram. And they're all linked in the show notes, as well as Wayne. What about you? Oh, just stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> same, funny same, you, same place. So I, I have nothing new. Someday I'll have something new to report. You can totally follow Wayne on Instagram and see him not post stuff. Yeah. <laughs> every, every once in a while, there will be a photo of something that catches my eye. If I remember to take a photo. <laughs> And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places at Vox Popcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do. We hope that you give us a five-star review on, especially on Apple podcast on iTunes that helps people find the show. It, um, it moves us up in the iTunes rankings and it makes us more popular. And you can even use a fake identity and hide behind a mask and still just say, these people are great. <laughs> that is, you know, that way you don't embarrass yourself. No. Yeah, be a hero. No, actually, I mean, well, I, I love knowing who, who's listening to the show. So yeah, please, if you, you know, it, in addition to making us more popular, we just appreciate the feedback. It, you know, it makes us feel good. You know, <laughs> feel good inside. Um, you can also follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we talk about whatever the next topic's going to be. We've got some exciting ideas coming up and you can give us your thoughts and we will try to incorporate them into the show and to our research and sort of answer questions. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everybody.